You're listening to UX Podcast, a monthly podcast from Stockholm, Sweden, with James Royal Lawson and Per Axman. Moving the conversation beyond UX. Hello, and welcome to episode nine of UX Podcast. With me, James Royal Lawson. And me, Per Axman. And we're, uh, oh, I say as usual, it's as usual, isn't it? So, yeah. Uh, in my thinking, um, offices here. But this time we're in the kitchen. In the kitchen, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been thrown out of my studio. Um, <laughs> my daughter's got chicken pox, so she's, she's quietly uh, entertaining herself over there while we record this. It's um, a nice spring day here in uh, the end of March it, in Stockholm. Yeah, it's Wednesday, March 29, and um, I've had my oatmeal and my Red Bull. <laughs> now you've trained this morning. <laughs> I've trained this morning. I'm really tired and hyped at the same time. I've had <laughs> so a this will be a fun episode. I've had a cup of tea, so <laughs> I'm equally as hyped. Okay. And sticking to our um, new design format for the show, we're actually doing four segments with uh, one blog post each that we're commenting on. And uh, I'm going to actually start. Two. Oh, two each. Mm, two each. Right. So I said four. Yeah, but four. We're, we're two people. Yeah. Right? This time. Good. Excellent. We're just testing you. Okay. And so I, what it happened is I, I did a blog post uh, almost a month back, I think. And... Uh, it was about um, banks, which is one of my favorite subjects. If you follow my blog, you know that I like criticizing banks and bank websites. If somebody gives me enough money, I'll reinvent the banking business, I hope. Uh, but this one was about comparing the start pages of different banks in Sweden, the largest banks. And one of the input data, uh, well, sources I had was uh, Feng GUI images. Now, Feng GUI, for, for people who don't know, is actually an automated tool for Simulating, Simulating eye tracking. I think that's the best way of, of explaining it. So it, it generates heat maps and gaze plots, if you're familiar with those, but they're not based on any human interaction. They're actually based on research and based on the looking... Algorithmic. Look, algorithmic. It's purely mathematical. So it's trying to figure out what are the attraction areas of, of, a, of a specific page or image. So a lot of bureaus use this to test ads in magazines and stuff like that. But more and more people are also using it to test websites, and in this case, the front page of different banks. Uh, and one of the comments, or a lot of the comments I got, I'm surprised you actually, you didn't get into the discussion, James, uh, was, <laughs> I was that- I was really, really busy <laughs> when you posted that podcast, yeah. and then that blog post, and I didn't get around yeah. to doing it. Well, there, there is a lot of controversy uh, around these tools. Fengu isn't the only one. We'll post, post links to all of them in, in the show notes. but. How can we rely on a, on a tool like that? And one of the people commenting actually compared it to monkeys throwing paint at the screen and having the same uh, type of results. People saying that you can't really draw conclusions on something that's algorithmic because one, it's not task-based, and two, it's not taking into account uh, any text. I think this is mm. yeah, I th- mm. case, um, a paid version of Fengui did actually have an option to take account of text. It does, but yes, but, it, but it, can, it, 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 it can see text and it can see text size. Mm, but you can't read it. It can't read it, no. exactly. So I if you have a four-letter word, probably it's going to draw attention for a human, but the tool is not going to know no. and interpret it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really skeptical of most of these um, simulation tools for, for eye tracking. Mm. Um, you know, partly because I've done a fair bit of real eye tracking. But, um, but in this case with Fengui, um, I tested it first a few years ago, I think it was 2009, mm-hmm. um, and um, it, wasn't, it wasn't anywhere close to, to real studies. Um, and the, the lack 
up for text understanding is one of them. And then mm. uh, imagine, imagine also when you compare, because it only takes the first five seconds. Of, you know, yeah, it, look, it takes like, it represents the first five seconds of a person looking at the page, yeah. okay, in what areas would draw attention. Yeah. I think mm. we call this, mm. this is like um, stimulus-driven yeah. analysis. Mm. Um, whereas when we're doing web, that may be why it's with certain adverts, mm. uh, magazine adverts and so on, where you don't have any, you know, you just run up against it in the street. Mm. You've never seen it before. You've got no nothing mm. going on. You just look at it. Mm. Now, fair enough, it might give mm. you an idea. Um, but with the website, and almost all the times we visit websites, it's it's a it's a knowledge, it's a knowledge based, knowledge driven mm. visit. Like you've got a task to complete, or you're reading words and responding to them. Mm. You're, you're using previous knowledge of menus and so on, mm. how they work on websites to drive you forward right. doing it. So, so to give you, you know, good mm. a good basis to, to go forward on that, it's very very limited. I, I do. I've done similar mm. um, first impressions uh, tests yes. using tracking. I quite like doing them. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, they do with real people. Mm. They can work to give um, a test of your um, call to action or right. most wanted action on the web page. Yeah. That just by getting someone who doesn't mm. really have anything to do with that mm. website, just stare at it. You can know whether something is getting enough attention. Mm. So then you can go on with. You can you can test loads of these. It's a very quick way of testing lots of. Images, prototypes, right? And they go on to test the real site. Maybe mm. My argument is that it's one data point, and you need a lot of data points to actually draw a conclusion. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it's really, really not recommended to actually draw too much of a conclusion from images like this. But I think it's a really good reference point if you have an idea of something that may be drawing too much attention. It can actually support your case when talking to a client because they immediately understand this type of image. But if you feel that it's not going to support your your standpoint or view, probably you're not going to use it. Uh, you're you're no, groaning here. No, but I, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I agree with the point, but I'm not, mm. I'd rather use real eye tracking to mm. do the same thing. But, well, the, the thing is, this takes a few seconds, and real eye tracking is a bit more expensive, uh, to say the least. So a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Not much. <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, we need to at least look at these tools and see, can we draw anything from them? Because if we're not looking at them and using, people are going to start using them and we need to actually set a recommendation. Are we going to say that, no, never use these tools? Or are we going to say, use these tools, but under these terms? And uh, I'm, I'm all for the second uh, option, actually. Use the tools, but really, really understand what they're saying and what they're giving you. It's, it's not about task-based scenarios. It's about looking at an image. And I, I had comments also, of course, you can have, you can hold a paper, I mean, a transparent paper up to the screen and see that the orange color of a certain image will draw more attention. Sure, you could do that, but this will give you a prettier image. And perhaps there are elements that would not actually th show through a paper in that sense. So I, I'm seeing lots of benefits uh, with using it, and especially with clients, but all the time using other data sets as well, using my expert review competencies and stuff like that to actually see if will, will, are the different data points giving me the same types of uh, conclusions? Because if they're not, then something's wrong and probably this is something that we'll have to look into more. But it also gives you something more, an idea of what to test when you are actually testing. Let's do a Bengui first and then do eye tracking, but we'll know what types of questions to ask and can we verify if Bengui, the Bengui image is actually do, uh, showing the right thing? Um, I think, I think one, one of the main this is that we've got to be good at, at describing and labeling what our tests are. Yeah. Um, I mean, all tests, all testing is good. 
to some degree, um, not to any degree, but we've got to say what this is because that's when we can enable yeah. enable these central decisions. Absolutely. And we're we're hoping to be interviewing the um, is it CEO? Yes, the Frank CEO, frankly, yeah, actually. Next, we're interviewing him next week, but it'll be a part of the next show. Yeah. So we'll get some more actually info on how the tool works and what what you should rely on and why you should rely on it. And I'll try and behave and not be critical. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that'll be great fun, and it's excellent that Fingu wants to do that with us. Yeah, really, really, really good fun. Um, okay, then we'll um, go on to the next. Moving on, which is yeah. which is one I've chosen. Um, it's it's to do with the iPad three. And it's retina, awesome. yeah. retina display. Um, if, you know, if you don't know, everyone listening to this has got to know what an iPad 3 is, and they're pretty much going to yeah. know it's, it's got a giant, well, pic, high pixel density. Oh, I almost bought it last week, but I, I didn't push the button. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> We've got an iPad 2, and it's going to be good enough for a long time. Um, no, the, 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 what the iPad 3, which retina display, um, the, it, call, it creates a whole new situation for us that we've now got um, a device, a, a mobile device, you could say. With, with a screen that is 2048 by 1536 pixels. Mm. This, is, this is like, what, 25 times the size of an iPhone screen. Yeah, it's mad. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absolutely yeah. I think I think it's bigger than the biggest Mac yeah. um, Mac screen you can get. Uh, we're into a whole new territory with, with the screen states mm. uh, of images and pixel density of these images. Now, the, the article that we'll link to, um, which was, um, what's it called? Um, I'm on an old page, I have something now. Uh, 3.1 million pixels rather than heavy from um, Global Moxie. Mm. Um, there's some great figures in this. Like, yeah, if we take um, iPad magazines, you know, these, these image-based or, yeah, image-based um, newspaper magazines, they normally take 250, 300k for each yeah. side. Uh, and most of us dislike this type of magazine anyway, because mm. it's, it's really not very innovative. <laughs> Uh, but now that same magazine to, to live up to the retina display um, standards is only two meg per page. Right, and so all the all the articles you have already written, all the images you already have, then look like shite. <laughs> they might do. I yeah. mean, if this could affect your entire production chain, like mm. you now have to source maybe different images in the beginning. Mm. We're getting up towards print quality you know, images that you mm. have to push out on, on these apps on these web pages. Um, so what does this mean for responsive design? Exactly. Yeah. For, for you know we've. we've out of the box responsive web design, um, that doesn't really give a shit about doesn't really care about um, how much it pushes down the pipe towards your device. Mm. But we've, we've, there's been a lot of talk about how maybe we could do some of the images, but there's no real good solution yet. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping, if there's one good thing to come out of the iPad 3, um, is that it's really going to force us to, to consider just what we do with bandwidth and, and how we can do it sensibly. Mm. Because I mean, I, I really don't want to be sending, um, uh, well, an image that's mul multiple sizes bigger, mul factors bigger than I need for a desktop website, and mm. an incredible amount of times bigger than I need for a mobile. So um, you actually need to be resizing your images on the server, server, server side, but imagine all the processor power for all of that when the, Im the images are four times the size. Oh, and also yeah. the fact that, I mean, you've got to look at your, your target audience. How mm. many do have iPad 3s? Is it really worth it? Mm. It's, 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 or are we moving into a new era? Is it a paradigm shift? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I, I like the fact that, I mean, that we're moving to print quality because 
all a lot a lot of the images on the web now i mean you can't really print them and have something that's really you want to show to people because i mean the output is really bad but now if you have images on websites and you print them and it looks really really good as if printed from a pdf high quality format then that's really interesting yeah and i think um um it's going to push us towards vector graphics more as well i think that's if, it, if the output just takes yeah. off then a lot of situations will we'll really see the benefit using vector graphics yeah. because suddenly something might be two or three K mm. instead of two or three meg mm. potentially depending on what you're presenting in, in the image right uh, and that's excellent mm -hmm. um, and I think also my question I'm hoping we question more and more about um, how um, um, whether an image is needed going back to some of the, you know, the eye tracking and um, some of the testing um, that we've, we've, we've done mm. previously that people don't always look at images they're, they're useful placeholders Right, but a lot of the time they are just popular placeholders, and it's the textual content that matters. You need images that support your content, yeah. like diagrams and graphs, which also speaks actually for vector format. Yeah. Or maybe when it comes to apps and, mm. and with iPad three mm. optimized mm. sites, then designers might be considering you know, more reuse of images in in a different way, or tiling mm. things in a more in a clever way mm. um, that gives retina like textures, but doesn't cause too meg to be um, pushed down the pipe. Right. I joked about this morning when we were talking a little bit. About, I, I fear the next conference I go to yeah. when iPad threes have taken off. I mean, the amount of conferences we've been mm. to, uh, the Wi-Fi doesn't isn't enough anyway. Mm. But everyone sat there with their iPad threes, you know, looking at iPad three <laughs> Retina display optimized yeah. websites. It's not going to work. The bandwidth's no. just not there for this. Mm. Not massive enough. Now that's really an interesting challenge. That we, that, as you've said, it, it doesn't have a solution yet, but we need to look at innovative more. Not a really, really good yeah. one. No. Shall we go? Yeah, let's move on. Let's uh, let's talk oh, passwords. As usual, we can talk yeah. about the entire podcast about each of these articles. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah we're going to talk about passwords mm. now. The um, this is my second first article. Um, the Economist had an article out this um, this week, one of the latest edition, um, talking about uh, password security mm. and passwords and the human side of this about mm. how how lazy we are to over passwords mm. and. Um, like one percent of us, um, so one in a hundred people have one two three four five six or six five four three two one as their yeah. password, and probably across all their websites. Yeah, um, and about dictionary attacks. Reminds me of Spaceballs, the movie where he has one two three four five six for his luggage. Yeah. I mean, I still, <laughs> I think I still have, I have six five four three two one as a password for an internet system. <laughs> um, but you, used. James? I no, I didn't choose it. It was the, the it was an IT technician that created the accounts. And, oh, I'm not, and I'm not sure I can change the password. I've never, I haven't changed it yeah. because I don't need to because mm. it's, it's an internal time report. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that was a side mm. um, it's I really like it when, mm. when um, you know, general publications like The Economist talk about yeah. these issues because it's all part of the mm. awareness building that mm. we need. And um, we know people are rubbish with passwords and I, I normally try and encourage people to use you know, sentences with a long, long number of, of characters because the longer mm. the password there is, the more secure it is. Even if it is subject maybe to some dictionary attacks because you can put together common strings of words. Um, password hackers generally concentrate on the shorter combinations first, you know, like one word, two yeah. word, three words. If you get a four or five word password, pretty much no matter what, uh, you know, as long as it's maybe not uh, my beautiful wife, I don't know, strawberry fields forever, some, yeah. some really kind of common phrase. That what, what about, because I read a good article a while back from the Swedish registry, Nick uh, SE, and uh, Recommending passwords, you put together words like um, banana bicycle fridge, mm. which was one of my great examples of a 
password that I would remember, but it's, I mean, it's very long. Yeah, no, I'm going to challenge you. Next podcast, I'm going to ask you what your password was that you chose for okay. episode nine. Challenge accepted. No Challenge accepted. Okay. I've got to write it down myself. Now. Banana bicycle fridge. Stop, stop training. Now you know the password for all our accounts. <laughs> Damn. No, but that is, that is generally considered to be a secure way yeah. and also more easy to remember. But I, th- I think when you move away from a standard sentence, then uh, into random words put together, yeah. it does become more challenging for us to remember. Mm-hmm. You might be able to do it, yeah. but a lot of normal people are yeah. not. Normal people. And what happens is then it. you write it on a, on a note and then it's not very safe um, either. Yeah. Um, but um, what I think here is from a UX perspective mm. that passwords are not the problem here. Passwords are a transitory, transitionary solution mm. to a problem, mm. but we shouldn't need them at all. Yeah. We just need to be able to identify mm. people. And I think it's our job to to question a bit more. You know, do we really need to identify someone? Uh, if we do, can we do it in a way that doesn't need a password? Right. Um, we're seeing we're seeing more and more you know smart um, experiments with with this. I mean, mm. my, my bank sends me an SMS when I want to log in with a code that mm. I then enter into the website. So I don't need to remember anything at all, mm. apart from where the website is. Yeah, um, yeah the same here. So really the mobile... We bank pair, so that's not right. <laughs> the mobile is what is changing it all, because mm. you have the mobile with you all the time. Yeah. You have another example of, of the Google login. Yeah, the password. Google login. Yeah. They, they, the QR code. They've been experimenting yeah. with a QR code. That you, to log in, mm. you can choose to generate a code, which you then scan with mm. your registered device for that account. Right. That gets you in. Wonderful. Don't need yeah. to remember anything again. And now when I talk about uh, forms, I always talk about how much I hate requiring specifications because we always have a, a requirement to have a login form. But maybe it's not the form you need. Maybe it's just a login. Exactly. Which means that, well, the examples, of course, uh, that people understand are you have a Google Connect, uh, you have a Facebook login. You could just push a button and you're logged in because somebody else takes care of it. Yeah. Uh, so basically you don't need the form anymore. No. I think we've really got the question, do we need password do we need to log mm. in and how can we solve this in a way that really mm. helps the user experience i guess yeah. uh, makes it easy for it to happen um so but uh, well, maybe mobiles are just part of the mm. transition that that's also transition yeah um there's, there's a lot of things also happen when we start having high definition cameras mm. in mobile devices mm. or in laptops we can then get into all mm. kinds of other ways of, of facial recognition and stuff and so right um, but for the time being, mm-hmm. if you do have to choose a password, just make it as long as you possibly can. And, and easy for you to remember. Yeah. That's fine. Nobody's going to follow that advice. No, no, no. 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 If they're listening. Yeah. Anyway, four fast off. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about this before, but uh, I can never stop talking about it because I get a bit pissed off when it's people. Right, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. I am. We have different definitions of what a swear word is. Oh, we do. James. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I have this problem. I'm bilingual kids. It's all. It's really problematic. That um, shit. Just that the example of shit is. Oh, anyway, no. <laughs> Don't start me off. We, we, focus. Focus. That's a different podcast. It is. James. It's, a, it's a different subject. A different. We're launching a new podcast for that. <laughs> Swearing podcast. Right? Yes. Uh, Can so, we drop the term UX design already? Yes, this is a post on the Serb blog. I don't know if I pronounced that uh, right, but Serb on Twitter. And uh, it's a follow-up on a post they did on, on, on subject of UX design and specifically the term actually UX design. Stop using it because what they're saying is that UX design has been around, the way that they interpret the phrase, has been around 
for ages. And it's just about looking at the organization, looking at the input and output of the organization and what do we need to, how can all the touch points within the organization be uh, assimilated into something that completes a great user experience, which is really nothing new, but all of a sudden people who have previously been in interaction design, usability, are calling themselves UX designers. Uh, and they say stop, and I say there is a context in, in which this works, which is basically, from my experience, a product I'm working right now in is it works really well for some of us to call ourselves UX designers in contrast to the developers. Yeah. Developers do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of stuff. But when we're talking amongst each other, it's easier for us to agree on touch points and agree on meetings and agree on, on discussions when we know that someone is a UX person, we know that, that someone is a developer. So in that sense, it works. And I see more and more clients, and uh, we've talked about this as well, that especially in large companies are actually asking for the UX people because they're more and more familiar with, with, and actually people within organizations that are employed are also beginning to call themselves UX people. So yes, people in UX are doing a lot of it. I mean, you can do everything from user research to interaction design uh, to usability testing and still call yourself a UX designer. And then, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's, that's, you can do completely different things yeah. and you can yeah. be a UX designer and that's not helpful really outside of mm. the situation you're in. Mm. But I agree with you, the, the situation you're sitting in just yeah. now, you're, you're using the term UX designer or whichever one mm. it is, as, a, as an enabler within a project mm. to help collaboration team building. Mm. And that's fine, you know, mm. developers need to, you need to have a label on you that mm. developers and other people can understand yeah. so they can you know, get an idea of what to expect from you. Um, but on a broader scale, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the whole UX term anyway, because mm. as you've said, that most of the stuff that UX does has been done now for, for a while. Um, yeah. and it's, not, it's not invented so much new. Right, but what, what, but what they're suggesting then is, so just call it design, because that would, that's what it is. But then it's hard to... It force lots of people to go back to being called yeah. um, you know, um, interaction, oh, interaction architects or, or you know, right. usability yeah. testers or whatever, I don't know what else you want to call them. Yeah, like all the different 10 labels I've had over oh. the last 10 years, yeah. like changing it every yeah. year, which I agree is not helpful at all for the clients, but it's helping me to identify myself, really. So it's really more ego-based. I need a way to interact with others and understand who else can I talk to about these questions? Who else is interested in all of these uh, areas or subject areas that I want to talk about? Uh, which is really helpful. So I think it's still helpful. I think it still should be around because it, it in, in a, lot of, a lot of contexts, yes, people understand each other better, both developers and UXers, and UXers together. That's why we have UX conferences. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when you're talking to the clients, perhaps we should not be talking about our own labels. We should be talking about yeah. the output of our work. I agree. What are we actually How giving are we people? Helping the clients. Yeah. And I think that's especially true in smaller to medium-sized yeah. companies where they have no idea what UX is and they're not interested. Yeah. And it's it's just not it's not, mm. it's not it doesn't add any value to them. They want they want stuff mm. done. You know, they want you to help with their website or their mobile app yeah. or whatever goals they've got to do. They have um, a completely different type of terminology yeah. in there. Um, so. Yeah, another transitional thing. Probably yes. Probably. Mm. <laughs> it so, all back again to the, everything moves mm. so fast. We, you know, you said about how many titles you've mm. had in ten, twelve years yeah. of doing what you do, mm. whereas you're roughly doing the same kind of thing, learning across the way. Yes. Um, you know, every two years we've got a whole dictionary full of new terminology to deal mm. with in our industry, um, and we struggle mm. to mm. keep up with all this new terminology. Mm. 
and how the hell can the client mm. be expected to have any chance of understanding what they're buying mm. when we keep changing the labels on the tins? Yes, I agree. Oh. It's an obsession with gamification, I think. I need, <laughs> I need to move to the next, next level, so I moved from, like, from usability engineer to UX designer to web strategist to digital strategist. Exactly, you're going to have a big, gold, yes. shiny badge <laughs> of this when you retire. <laughs> anyway, that's all for uh, yes. articles, and um, we probably talked too long, as usual, with these. And uh, we'll hope, hope you'll tune in for our next episode when we're interviewing the CEO of Feng Yui, uh, which will be really, really awesome, I hope. And hopefully. Hopefully some interesting discussions and some debates there as well. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> and we're also preparing, of course, uh, mentally uh, and <laughs> uh, looking at tools for doing some, some live uh, podcasting during the UX uh, LX event in Lisbon in, in May. Yeah. Uh, That'll be loads of fun. Yeah, we did a fair bit last year, and we seem to be talking about doing even more this year. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how we're going to fit that in. It's all about finding the right technology. Yeah, you, you're quite right. You're quite right. Um, I believe you, Fair. <laughs> we'll start podcasting on the plane over. That'll be fun. You imagine that. Yes. <laughs> so, thank you for listening. Um, and please go and give us feedback on the podcast, um, uxpodcast.com. It's, tell us what you think. Tell us what you think of the show. Tell us how we can make them better. What you'd like us to talk about. And I'm James Laurie Wilson. And I'm Fair Bye bye. Have a great day. You've been listening to UX Podcast with freelance consultants James Royal Wilson and Per Axman. For more information or to subscribe to this podcast, visit uxpodcast.com.